Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have a little treat for you all, I guess. People came into the comments to these videos and said, hey, Hogue, Rick, you should have some kind of video element, some kind of camera showing you talking to us so that we can relate to you on a personal level, see your face from time to time. And while I don't have the best camera here at Hogue House in the coronavirus pandemic, I did think, hey, we can try that out. And you can let me know in the comment to this video what you think of it. You'll see if we continue to do this that I don't regularly wear suits. I'm often doing YouTube videos, generally speaking, in casual attire, even when it's not a pandemic. I will say that my hair is a little bit long now, and I'm very much looking forward to the barbershop opening up whenever that does happen uh, in Michigan. Uh, but otherwise, hey, please do leave those comments. Let me know what you think. I can do fun things like make myself look bigger uh, for potentially important times during the video or times when I'm not otherwise reading from a statute or from the legal part of what we're talking about. And I can just talk to you directly through the camera lens. Maybe that'll be a more effective way of communicating some of these ideas. You can let me know that as well. But for the most part, I'm likely to stick where I am here in the corner and just talk to you about what it is that we like to talk about in virtual legality, the business and law that surrounds us, uh, that influences us either here in social media, as we're about to talk about today, or in the land of pop culture and video games and movies and other things that I think a lot of people really enjoy, and that we can gain insight into how they operate through business and law. So without further ado, and hopefully without too much distraction with my face up there in the top right, I want to talk to you about what is happening with a little bit of language that Twitter changed. I believe it was yesterday. It might have been the day before. And how that is affecting not just Twitter, really, but also YouTube and Facebook, how they are all dealing with coronavirus, conspiracy claims, and how they are kind of moving even more towards judgment-based control over their platforms in a way that, as a corporate lawyer, I have often said is something that I can empathize with. If you're Twitter, you don't want to be associated with really bad things happening in the world. Same with YouTube, same with Facebook. However, having that ambiguity, having that control, having those value judgments be in the hands of somebody like Facebook or Twitter or YouTube is something that I think folks that use those services should be concerned with. And I do think I can add a little something as to what was changed in this language that we can talk about on a legal basis so that people can understand that it was not a small change that Twitter actually enacted the other day. So I've got this TechCrunch article. It says, Twitter will remove dubious 5G tweets that could potentially cause harm. I want you to put a pin in that word could because that's an important thing from a legal perspective. And this article goes on to say, Ever since it first started rolling out, 5G skeptics have attempted to link the next-gen cellular technology to all manner of health issues. Most recently, it's become an easy scapegoat for the global COVID-19 pandemic, given the rapid rise of both. Conspiracy theories have gained such a foothold that vigilantes have taken matters into their own hands by destroying cell towers in various European countries. Now, this was news to me in this tech country. Tech Crunch article. I thought, wow, really? And I pulled up an AP article, the one that they linked to in that article. It says, conspiracy theorists burn 5G towers claiming link to virus. It's a scene that's been repeated dozens of times in recent weeks in Europe, where conspiracy theories linking new 5G mobile networks and the coronavirus pandemic are fueling arson attacks on cell towers. 
So like I said at the top of this video, if you are Twitter, if you're the CEO of Twitter, if you're some high-level vice president, and you are in charge of making sure that the brand is protected, that there is still goodwill for your company, I think we can put ourselves in those shoes and say, yeah, you don't want to be associated with spreading misinformation that is actually resulting in public damage and potentially harmful damage, right? One of the reasons that arson is so penalized in virtually all jurisdictions is because of the potential for an arson attack to spread out of control, to hit things that even the arsonist didn't intend to hit. It's a very dangerous type of crime. So there are high level penalties that attach to things like arson. So when you think about Twitter, when you think about YouTube and Facebook, they are facing a situation where if that is actually happening, and there's no reason to disbelieve the Associated Press on something like 5G towers being attacked, then if that's really happening, then yes, these platforms have to look at, okay, should we be working to halt the spread of that information? Should we, we be doing something? And I think broadly, the answer is yes. Broadly, the answer is if you are in charge of one of these platforms, you want to be doing something. But as I like to say, doing something doesn't mean that everything that could fall under the umbrella of what something is, is necessarily the right answer, right? Not everything you could possibly do is that something that will be effective to changing what it is you are trying to change or otherwise helpful to the people that you are trying to protect. And oftentimes it can be damaging to the folks that are your actual user base as we are about to see. In the quote given to TechCrunch, they say, we are prioritizing the removal of COVID-19 content when it has a call to action that could potentially cause harm. As we've said previously, we will not take enforcement action on every tweet that contains incomplete or disputed information about COVID-19. Since introducing these new policies on March 18th, we've removed more than 2,200 tweets. As we've doubled down on tech, our automated systems have challenged more than 3.4 million accounts, which were targeting discussions around COVID-19 with spammy or manipulative behaviors. And we can actually see from this tweet from Twitter safety, it says 20 hours ago when I'm making this video, that that's exactly what they have said that they are going to do. It says, we have broadened our guidance on unverified claims, put a pin in that language as well, that incite people to engage in harmful activity, could lead to the destruction or damage of critical 5G infrastructure, or could lead to widespread panic, social unrest, or large-scale disorder. And if we actually go, we look at their links, we follow where Twitter wants us to look at these things, we don't actually get a lot of help. This is the main coronavirus uh, or COVID-19 site that Twitter has put up saying, hey, this is what we are going to do about it. We have talked about this before in previous episodes of virtual legality. We've talked about Facebook policies and YouTube policies and, and what changes are being enacted in the face of coronavirus. Here, we just get kind of a copy of what the tweet says, followed by a link to the tweet, which is kind of odd. It doesn't actually prescribe an action item here. It just says unverified claims. It defines them. It, it then goes and puts that link in. It includes some samples, and those are important. It says, such as, the National Guard just announced that no more shipments of food will be arriving for two months. Run to the grocery store ASAP and buy everything. Or 5G causes coronavirus. Go destroy the cell towers in your neighborhood. And of course, the 5G is how I use this as a jumping off point. It's clear that Twitter is concerned specifically with what's happening with those 5G towers. That's how TechCrunch framed it. That's how a number of these sites are framing the question. But 
we don't see an action item here, right? We can assume it means, oh, Twitter will ban these, Twitter will uh, attack accounts. But the actual action item is all the way down here when it talks about the update that they had done to moderation. It says, we have broadened our definition of harm to address content that goes directly against guidance from authoritative sources of global and local public health information. Rather than reports, we are enforcing this in close coordination with trusted partners, including public health authorities and governments, and continue to use and consult with information from those sources when reviewing content. Under this guidance, we will require people to remove tweets that include, now note, this is March 27th, that include specific and unverified claims that incite people to action and cause widespread panic, social unrest, or large-scale disorder, such as the National Guard just announced that no more shipments of food will be arriving for two months, run to the grocery store ASAP, and buy everything. Now, you might say to yourself, outside of that reference to 5G, isn't that roughly the same language that they were already using? And it is roughly the same language, but they have made some important legal changes to what this actually says. Now, we're going to dive into this, but it's important to note that Twitter is still a private actor. We've talked about that in a lot of episodes of virtual legality, and they basically have the authority to do whatever they want with their platform. That being said, when they put actual language in terms and conditions, when they describe how they are going to make their decisions, that's an important piece of the puzzle, because if you ever did want to claim that they were in breach of some kind of contract, that they did something wrong, part of your argument would be that they aren't following their own rules that they set out for all of their users. So making these changes isn't something that is just kind of theoretical. It isn't academic. It's not why Twitter hires and employs lawyers to make these changes and to examine this language. It is an important part of whatever kind of legal challenge somebody might eventually have against Twitter, even though it's unlikely for any such challenge to actually win the day because of all the authority that these various platforms have to control the content that appears on them. With that being said, we can take a look at the language that they have actually put forth that I think, even though it's not great legal drafting, we can infer was intended to replace that language that we just looked at. That Twitter has an overall rule that they enacted at the end of March that says we are broadening the concept of harm. If you make one of these claims, we can remove your tweet. Presumably that also kind of folds into the rest of the things that Twitter can do. And so Twitter can not only remove that tweet, it could potentially penalize the account that makes it. It can do all sorts of things once you start violating the rules that they have put forth. And they are changing what that specific bullet point that we looked at actually says. It says, now, unverified claims that incite people to action could lead to the destruction or damage of critical infrastructure or could lead to widespread panic, social unrest, or large-scale disorder, such as these tweets, those are the kinds of things that we can remove. Those are the kinds of things that are against our policy. So if we go and we look at the original language, the very first thing that jumps out is this word specific, right? It's specific and unverified claims that are at issue. Specific no longer applies. They are not requiring the unverified claim to be specific. Now, interestingly enough, if we look at the actual samples that they gave, The National Guard just announced no more food, run to the grocery store and buy everything. It's that second part that, in my opinion, is what makes it specific in the first place. And this is the example that they had before, right? So it makes sense that there is that specificity. If you just had a tweet that said the National Guard just announced that no more shipments of food will be arriving for two months, it is unclear right now whether that would qualify for 
problematic treatment by Twitter moderators and Twitter personnel because it's not a specific action item. It's not telling people to do anything. It is an unverified claim. Presumably it's put in this context because it's a lie. The National Guard in this fictional universe where we are evaluating this tweet hasn't run out of food. There's no real concern. But if you don't say run to the grocery store, does Twitter have a problem with you? They seem to be trying to broadening broaden out their rule to suggest that they would still be able to have a problem with you if you are just kind of fomenting those lies. And of course, there are other rules that Twitter has that says, hey, if you're just spreading false information, we can do certain things to you regardless of this particular question. But the same thing kind of goes for this new example, right? If unverified claims that could do these bad things, and we're going to talk about that could word in just a second, if unverified claims that could do those things are the problem, why does their example for 5G have this second component? 5G causes coronavirus. That's an unverified claim that already has been proven in the Associated Press to be able to lead to large-scale disorder or damage to critical infrastructure. So why do you actually need in your example this second part that says, hey, not only does it cause coronavirus, I'm going to tell you to go destroy the cell towers in your neighborhood. So there's already this kind of disconnect with what the language is even saying. Did they mean to get rid of specificity here? Because their examples include that specificity. Or are they just trying to give those examples as things that we really don't like, but we reserve the right to hit things that are unspecific? And if they do reserve that right, then we start to have real significant problems, right? Because if it's just unverified claims, we're living in the age of coronavirus, COVID-19. Literally everything that we hear, even from authoritative sources, whether you're talking about CBS News, the WHO, the CDC, the federal government, your state government, different governments across the country or across the world, those aren't going to be verified, not at least scientifically, for a significantly long time, right? What we are talking about here are claims that have certain levels of uh, falsity, certain levels of truthfulness that are propagated by what Twitter and YouTube and Facebook consider to be authoritative sources. And do those kinds of reports get in trouble, right? That's an open question because virtually everything could be classified as unverified right now. Even if you're listening to the task force group meetings, almost everything that they say is unverified in the scientific sense. And what they are basing their actions on is on best guess scenarios, whether it's at your state or federal level, but they're not what we would consider verified. And you get that from the previous videos that we've done in this series, right? We've talked about this a lot. We've talked about this in previous videos where, hey, Facebook is defending their ban on protests because the state governments are telling them that they are harmful or that they are violative of the executive order. They're making those determinations of them uh, of themselves or that this particular New York Post article that is an opinion piece is false, that our independent fact checkers, quote unquote independent, as we talk about in that video that we did earlier this week, have determined them to be false. Very much they are unverified because it's an opinion piece and it's just circumstantial evidence. But if you were to go and put that out there, is that the kind of thing that Twitter could potentially give you a strike for and maybe take your account away for? That's an open question and it's an important one. So 5G and coronavirus and this age of pandemic is being used by these social media companies, not just to protect themselves, but to give themselves this vast umbrella to make these judgment-based determinations. And when I say judgment-based, that's what the word could is doing. When I negotiate a contract, 
I draft the contract or maybe the other side drafts the contract and then we make revisions to that draft and we send them back to the other side. And when we do that, we give a red line that highlights what the differences in language are. Now, some website providers, some terms and conditions will give you that red line. You'll say, hey, show me what the differences are between this version and the last version. Twitter doesn't do that here. It's probably not that significant, but it's an important part of the process to understanding what the actual other party is attempting to do. So when you have this language and it says could lead to the destruction or damage of critical infrastructure or could lead to, and you compare it to what was the original language, claims that incite people to action and cause, you get a vast difference in what that language actually says. This original bullet point says, if you've got a specific claim that actually incites people to do something, that actually causes panic, unrest, or disorder, then we've got a problem with you. This new language says, if you make a claim that is unverified, which we've already talked about is basically anything on earth right now in Corona land. So everything could be unverified if the Twitter moderator decides to hold it to be such in respect of your tweet. And it could possibly lead to damage or panic or unrest or disorder. Then Twitter can take these actions against you. And this kind of concept, it could happen. It may happen. It might happen is a little bit of language that in contract negotiations, where you're not just talking about terms and conditions that you have to accept or not accept to use the service, this is the kind of language that lawyers negotiate all the time, where I say, no, it's not could lead, it's would lead. That's the next level up, right? Okay, you have to make a a reasonable person standard here that says, it's not that it could lead, anything could happen, right? I could make an unverified claim and that could do all manner of things. Frankly, it's a tinderbox across the globe right now because of everybody's stress levels and what everybody is dealing with. So virtually anything that is unverified, which is also virtually anything, could lead to all of these things. So Twitter, by having this specific bit of guidance out there, is basically saying, if we don't like it, we can take it down. And yes, they have the right to do that. But the consumers of Twitter, the consumers of Facebook and YouTube, and we're going to talk about those in just a second, they need to be aware that this is the state of play. That's why we do these videos in virtual legality is to say, hey, this is a big change. This is something that will affect the way that you could potentially use this platform, use this system, and you should be aware of it. Secondly, when we talk about could lead to destruction or damage of critical infrastructure or could lead to widespread panic, social unrest, or large-scale disorder, it's worth noting that there's a little bit of kind of sleight of hand here with respect to that second group, right? When you see it could lead to widespread panic, social unrest, or large-scale disorder, it's natural to read that as being widespread in all cases, right? If it was just widespread panic, social unrest, or disorder, it would be easy to say, hey, widespread should apply to panic, unrest, and disorder, But that's not what happens here in this little bit of language. What happens here is it's widespread panic, then it's just plain old social unrest, and then it's large-scale disorder. So it implies just by kind of a naturalized reading of this bit of language that widespread doesn't apply down the line because widespread large-scale disorder doesn't make a lot of sense. The large scale is already covering it, which also implies that the social unrest that we are talking about doesn't need to be widespread, doesn't need to be significant. So you've got unverified claims that could cause minor levels of social unrest. 
So as we go through this language, you can see that this is a terribly broad bit of power that Twitter has reserved for itself. And if we're corporate lawyers, if we're the lawyers for Twitter, if we are the CEO of Twitter, that's the kind of power that we want. But that's not necessarily the kind of power that the users should want. It's not the kind of power that is self-evident when Twitter just puts up a tweet that says, hey, we broadened our guidance, uh, so don't worry about it. We're not actually going to kind of talk to you about what that means specifically, but we broadened it, so don't worry, uh, but we've got you covered and we really don't like it when people burn down 5G towers because of a tweet. You might also say, hey, that language that you just talked about, widespread panic, social unrest, or large-scale disorder, existed in the previous bit of language, and surely it did. And it's a problem there in and of itself, but it's kind of not as much of a problem because of the requirement that whatever was said actually incited people, actually caused something to get in trouble. So widespread panic, social unrest, or large-scale disorder isn't as significant as a problem when you've got other things that are kind of controlling that language. But when you take all the safeties off, when you take all the controls off, it doesn't need to be specific. It only could lead to any of these significant problems. Social unrest doesn't have to be massive. And even our examples don't really line up with the language that we have given to you now. You've got ambiguity that Twitter can use. You've got ambiguity that calls into question all sorts of things, right? And it's not just limited to Twitter, right? We talk about this kind of thing in virtual legality a lot. The reason I called this video kind of changing the rules of social media is because this specific kind of set of circumstances, this pandemic, the 5G tower issue specifically has led to all sorts of rule changes, all sorts of things that Facebook and YouTube and Twitter are doing. And we can see that in the interview that the YouTube CEO just gave to, I believe it was CNN and Reliable Sources. I pulled up an article that kind of summarized it, in my opinion, the best. This is from a website called Engineering and Technology. It says, YouTube bans content that contradicts the WHO's COVID-19 advice. In her first interview since the world went into lockdown in an effort to contain the coronavirus pandemic, YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki said that the platform would stamp out problematic claims on the platform, including anything medically unsubstantiated. People, taking, people saying, take vitamin C, take turmeric, we'll cure you. Those are the examples of things that would be a violation of our policy. Speaking on CNN's reliable sources. Anything that would go against who recommendations would be a violation of our policy. Now, as we talked about, when we talked about independent fact checkers, and just as we talked about in this video about what's verified and unverified, one of the major problems, and I'm empathetic to the social media, big tech platforms on this, but one of the major problems that is happening with respect to this specific issue right now is that the who's and CDCs and governments of the world are changing what they are saying on a very regular basis. So you've got the WHO saying, no, masks aren't required. You've got the CDC saying, yes, masks should be required. You've got various states actually mandating that you wear masks. And that's just one kind of small component of this whole question. So when we talk about what YouTube should be just smashing off its platform, it is concerning when you get a bit of language that says anything that would go against who recommendations would be a violation of our policy because nobody knows what the who recommendations are going to be tomorrow, let alone next week or next month. So what the status of those videos is, is very important. And certainly for the people that are making content for YouTube, it's very important. Now, part of that story is also that authoritative sources, news organizations, governments, things of that nature 
aren't going to be facing the same rules as kind of your ordinary everyday YouTube content creator, even your ordinary everyday corporate lawyer. Uh, I have no special powers over what is authoritative news or not on YouTube, even though I might have some additional educational experience on things like business and law. I certainly don't claim to be a medical doctor or anything along those lines. So they are uh, at YouTube and also at Facebook, essentially promoting these authoritative sources. If you recall, when we were looking at specifically the way Twitter highlights this, they say, we are enforcing this in close coordination with trusted partners, including public health authorities and governments. And one of the main problems there that, again, I'm empathetic to is that not all governments are created equal, right? I did a series in the fall of last year called The Blizzard of Backlash that was about Blizzard Entertainment and Activision dealing with the fallout from essentially enforcing rules at the behest of the Chinese government to penalize folks that were saying things that were in favor of Hong Kong. And that wound up being a nine-part series. I highly recommend checking it out. But all of these companies are having to deal with government edicts, government orders that are maybe not in the best interest of their users, not in the best interest of what they even believe as kind of a corporate motto or mission statement. And so when you have something like Twitter or Facebook or YouTube, which ostensibly espouses the values if not the legal requirements of freedom of speech and association and the battle of ideas and all this good stuff, then saying, well, we will yield to what governments tell us is potentially a problem. And I'm not saying that there's necessarily a better solution here. Although while I say here that judgment is potentially a problem because they're going to be evaluating what's unverified, they're going to be evaluating what causes things, they're going to be evaluating what specificity is needed or not needed and all these various little bits and pieces, I would like to see them use their judgment as to whether a health authority or a government should be allowed to say what they are saying as well. So I really don't know that it's good that these various sites are having essentially a caste system, a multiple class system of what's allowed and disallowed, but that is what they've basically decided to do. In this same article, we see Facebook has also made efforts to prevent the spread of 5G conspiracies and other disinformation by promoting who information about COVID-19 to users who have interacted with deceptive content about the disease and by limiting message forwarding on encrypted messaging app WhatsApp. Now, this 5G conspiracy stuff is a useful kind of metric because it is so kind of ridiculous on its face. And so this is the most power that these social media companies have. It's everybody basically agrees that this is bad. You shouldn't be burning down cell towers. These claims are not scientific. They're not really based on anything. They're the kind of typical conspiracy theories that these social media sites have been trying to stamp out for a long period of time. But whenever you have that kind of situation, it's worthwhile to kind of follow it to its conclusion because these rules aren't limited to 5G tower arson. They aren't limited to just coronavirus can be cured with silver or whatever it might be. They extend the branch of their power, the umbrella of their authority to virtually anything. And then they yield that authority in spots to what they consider to be authoritative sources. And we actually see YouTube say that kind of thing a lot. It says, still, YouTube says it has a handle on the situation when it comes to misinformation. During the first three months of the year, the company says it has seen a 75% increase in people watching videos from authoritative sources, such as legitimate news outlets, government agencies, and health authorities like the World Health Organization. 
I don't know that there's necessarily a better solution than saying, hey, these things are as close as we can get to legitimacy in part. And YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, I don't want them to necessarily be evaluating the legitimacy of the CDC or the WHO or the U.S. government or many, many, many governments. That being said, I think it's obvious, it's intuitive to all of us that news outlets can make mistakes, that government agencies can have different agendas, that places like the World Health Organization and the CDC can make mistakes and can be willful about misinformation in certain parts. We've seen that over the last couple of weeks. So while there might not be anything better for authoritative sources, and you don't necessarily want to be following the medical health advice on YouTube from some guy in his basement or with really dim lighting in the state of Michigan, it's difficult to see exactly why all of these various sources should just be yielding their authority, that YouTube and Facebook and Twitter should just be saying, hey, we want to just push people to government agencies and the World Health Organization and quote unquote legitimate news outlets. It's worth noting that the word legitimate there is doing some heavy lifting, right? There are news outlets that are illegitimate by the very use of the phrase then. And who's making that determination, YouTube? Who's making that determination, Facebook, etc.? One other thing that kind of jumped out at me in this particular article is the following. Since January 2018, YouTube says it has reduced viewership by 80% on videos that would be later taken down for policy violations. That means stopping the spread of would-be viral misinformation, even though the videos weren't initially deemed to violate community guidelines. Now, if you've been following virtual legality for any amount of time, especially since the pandemic started, since lockdown started, stay-at-home orders and the rest, you've probably heard me say in various places, hey, please like, subscribe, engage with this content because for whatever reason, YouTube hits the demonetization button and also just appears to be suppressing any kind of suggestion in the algorithm for the stuff that I am putting out there. And I don't know exactly why that's happening. I suspect that's happening to a lot of people across the spectrum. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I don't necessarily like to ascribe it to anything in particular. But when I read a sentence like this and it says, YouTube is touting that it has reduced viewership by 80% on videos that would be later taken down for policy violations, it opens up the secondary question, right? Okay, so you've gotten this 80% reduction on things that would be later taken down. How many false positives did you actually hit in that net, right? I talk a lot in this space about coronavirus and laws related to it and federal statutes and things that are very important today, things that are important, I think, in understanding how business and law are going to interact and how we are eventually going to get out of this. But because I use all those terms, it's very possible that kind of the initial instinct of the robots or the algorithm is to say, we don't know him. We don't know Hoaglaw. He's got less than 10,000 subscribers. He is not a legitimate news outlet. So we should suppress at the start. And hey, that's going to help us hit that reducing viewership by 80% on videos that would be later taken down. Because we don't have to say the second sentence here, which is, oh, by the way, we also reduced viewership by 80% on X number of videos that never got taken down because we looked at them and said, oh, actually, that's not misinformation. Sorry about that. But that's what everybody is dealing with right now on YouTube. And when you see this kind of statistic touted, if you're a YouTube content creator, if you're a Facebook content creator, hell, if you're a journalist of any kind and you're just trying to get your stuff out there to get clicks, to feed your family, and it's good stuff, but it talks about coronavirus and you're not working at CBS News or where have you, the CEO of YouTube going out and saying, we preemptorily 
reduce viewership even before we know there are policy violations should scare the heck out of you. And so when I named this video, changing the rules of social media, when I want to talk about judgment and big technology, I'm not here to scare you. I'm not here to give you conspiracy theories. What I'm here to say is that these kinds of things, preventing 5G tower arson, which I think is a legitimate goal. And if I were working at any of these places, I would be trying to seek an answer to preventing is something that can be used in a very problematic way, not just for those companies and their business models, but also for the people that are using those platforms. And that's really why I wanted to make this video is I saw this set of articles and I said, that Twitter language that is so small, that changes four or five words, is so impactful to the authority that they are claiming over what they can do to their usership that people should know about it. And that's what we do here in virtual legality. And that's been virtual legality for today. So if you like this video, if you liked seeing my face in the corner, more power to you. I can do this still. I very much appreciate you checking out the channel. I very much appreciate you coming in, engaging with the content, telling people about it. Please like, subscribe, do all that good stuff. I think there's a bell to ring. I don't fully know. I don't fully understand all those various aspects of YouTube. Maybe YouTube doesn't either, but I do appreciate it. This is the channel. We talk about these kinds of things all the time, including Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, especially this week because so much has come out. But we also talk about video games, movies, pop culture, and the intersection of those things with law and contract and licensing and business. We really love doing this, so please help us grow, help us continue to uh, get subscribers. I very much appreciate it. And if you caught us on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to us in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.